0: Hello, and welcome to Nobody's Coming to Fix You, a podcast for women, by women, talking all things life, empowerment, and transformation. My name is Del Beer. I'm a businesswoman, sustainability advocate, industry leader in my field, and have spent my whole career working in the fashion industry, working out what women actually want. I am the creator of the Sandsland Coaching and Transformation Programme, and I'm your host for this podcast. Joining me throughout the series, be lots of fabulous women and men too to talk about how we can share the best hacks to live our best lives hello and welcome back to another episode of nobody's coming to fix you Joining us today is the remarkable Tiff Dark, somebody who embodies the very core of our Santalan ethos. Her journey is a testament to the transformative power of aligning your personal values with your professional pursuits, especially in the sustainability space. She has emerged as a top thought leader in reshaping how we perceive and engage with sustainable fashion. I'm thrilled to have Tiff Dark with me here today, sharing her invaluable insights. Tiff, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So let's get started. First thing I want to talk about is your career. So at Santalan, a key pillar of our work is career transformation and career transition. I would love it if you could share with the audience your career journey from editor-in-chief at Style Magazine through to working at Harrods and then Agora becoming a sustainability activist. I think everyone would be really happy to hear about your journey.
1: Well, I never really knew what it was that I wanted to do. I actually fell into journalism because it seemed like a good idea at the time. And the moment I started working in journalism, I loved it. It was like being at the nexus of everything that was going on. And I was very lucky to work on national newspapers from the get go. So I would sit there and I would have the foreign news editor telling me everything that was going down in Iraq. And then you know the politics editor would be saying what all the gossip was from Westminster. And you'd get to hear so many great things and then you'd get to write about them as well and you could be very influential. So journalism was my passion straight away and I was actually working in news features around the time of 9-11 really enjoying it when the editor of the Sunday Times asked me if I'd like to relaunch the style section as a woman's glossy and I was like don't be so ridiculous I'm having a great time where I am don't pigeonhole me he said don't be ridiculous it's the most amazing job you better take it so I said yes and he was right it was amazing and that was really the period 2002 to 2012 when if you remember those noughties times you know it was all about excess consumption the high street went off the wall there were trends everywhere celebrity was everything size zero was everything it was just Britney Spears, Kate Moss, Sienna Miller, the launch of Grazia they had one of those three women on every week there was so much to talk about and it was so much fun to be had And I really enjoyed it. But we were very lucky because we'd cornered the advertising market to start off with because we were the only big weekly magazine. And then obviously competitors came in and then 2008 came around. And suddenly it was a much more difficult market to get advertising in. So we had to transform ourselves and find different ways to create revenue. And we were successful in that. So then what happened was the Murdoch Enterprise, which owned the Sunday Times at the time, asked me if I would set up an agency to work across all the different titles within news. So I did that, and basically I went commercial. And that was a very interesting learning experience for me to understand how brands work, how people sell products, what they need to sell products, how you find audiences when they aren't naturally gravitating towards you, and then really how to create content for brands so that they can be relevant, and all sorts of different brands. So this wasn't just fashion. You know, I think I ended up, my first campaign was the... As the 99 exotic meat feast for I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> and I think the week before I would just done an interview with Mutual Prada, so it was the most extraordinary transition of my career today. But anyway, so that was fun. And then I was very lucky after a couple of years of doing that to be asked to go and do something similar at an editorial platform in New York. It was a cable TV company that had several brilliant brands: the History Channel, Biography Channel, AE. And they were looking for someone to come in and run all the different social media, YouTube, linear TV channels and create a cohesive voice across all of those channels. And so going and doing that in the time of Trump, I arrived on the day that he was inaugurated. It was quite a ride. Wonderful to be working in American media. That was very interesting time. And I had a great colleague at the time, the Chief Marketing Officer of a and Amanda Hill. She used to be the CMO, actually, of the BBC. And she moved back to the UK to do the CMO job at Harrods. And after about six months, she rang me up and said, could you come back and do this? I know you know a bit about fashion. <laughs> Working at Harrods was just something I couldn't turn down. And it was such a joy to go from midtown, Media, Manhattan, to Knightsbridge and going from those kind of grotty Manhattan offices to the riding the fifth floor escalator, Egyptian escalator <laughs> in Harrods, going past Bauman and Chloe. So I was there for a couple of years and thoroughly enjoyed that. But then the pandemic hit and suddenly all of that excess consumption just felt like too, too much. And there was one day where the whole thing peaked. And in the morning, I had ridden across... The pandemic hit London, empty streets, to get to Knightsbridge to the store, which was obviously closed and empty, to capture content of Louis Vuitton handbags to send to princesses floating on the sea in Thailand who had nothing better to do than shop luxury, and then cycling back again and kind of grabbing my kids and going out onto the doorstep and banging the saucepans for the NHS nurses. And I was like, oh, this is a bit broken. (laughs) So I left Harrods and I chose to educate myself and that was quite a big step actually because I was in my late 40s at the time and to go back to school and learn about something actually felt like such a treat. Like you forget that actually going and learning and starting something again is such a nourishing and amazingly luxurious thing to do. And I chose to go and learn about sustainability because I could see that whatever it was I did next, it was going to have an impact. And I did the Cambridge Institute of Sustainability Leadership course, which quite a few people have done. And everyone who's done the course will tell you it's an absolute game changer. And they say with sustainability that once you know, you know, and you can't really go back. And after that, I found like I'd found my purpose. So now what I do is I try and relate what I know about sustainability with the fields that I feel I have influence in which is fashion and I try and change industry and change consumers around fashion to have a more sustainable mindset so that we can hopefully transform the planet and get to the place that we need to be great thank you for that
0: I'm really curious to learn more about your decision to go back to school I did the same thing this year as well. I studied for my coaching qualifications. Actually, I didn't think too much about it before I started. And then finding myself back in a classroom, finding myself doing assignments, working. Suddenly, I realized I was back to where I was like 30 years ago. And it was really interesting. And I'm really glad that I did it. But like, what was your reason to go back?
1: I didn't know what I wanted to do next actually. I knew I'd reached the final point of the stage that I was in and I just could see a subject that I felt would be relevant to whatever it is that I wanted to do. I wasn't even that interested in sustainability to be honest. I just thought oh well this is going to play a role (laughs) but it wasn't until I actually got on the course. I think I did about Half a day, and then I realized, wow, this is amazing. And I think it's that thing about if you're a bit unsure in life and you don't know what your next step is, there is absolutely no harm in going and learning something and reskilling or skilling up. And apart from anything else, it's a total pleasure to be able to just focus on yourself. It felt, like I said, so luxurious to be able to take the time to just learn something and to go really deep into a subject. But it's funny you saying that you hadn't felt like that since school, because I got total essay crisis. (laughs) I'm saying because you have to hand in big assignments every week, and I'd be like, "Is it good enough? I don't know whether this is good enough." And staying up late and trying to get everything done, and you do get sort of pinged right back to that anxiety you had when you were trying to kind of. Do your university finals paper or finish your A-level exam?
0: I was the same. I had three months to finish all my assignments and I came in four hours before the final deadline. And I was thinking, oh my God, I think that's probably a little bit of an improvement of like when I was actually at university, but not much actually. And it was really challenging. And I was questioning myself the whole time, like... Is this how you write this assignment now? Am I doing it in the right way? And am I going to fail at this? But I think, like you say, it's really interesting to think of studying and learning as a luxury. I think that is so true. When we were at school, it was mandatory. So we hated it. And then we get into the workplace and we're just working the whole time. But giving yourself the time to learn, it's so wonderful. And also, I think it just opens up doors for not necessarily career change and transition, but maybe like, extra things that you can incorporate into your life you don't have to change your career it might be that you create like a side hustle you might create a little a hobby something that you enjoy doing in your spare time it's a great way to learn isn't it
1: it is and actually that course specifically felt like a business studies course it was a business studies course with a sustainability lens so while I was learning about sustainability I was also learning really interesting stuff around kind of you know production manufacturing accounting, legal, you know, all of that stuff, which had never really come into my frames of reference before. But I think also, creativity comes from the space that you create around yourself. And when you're working in a job and a career, you're often nose to the grindstone, very furious, just trying to hit your deadlines, running like a hamster on a wheel. If you take time out, and you go and learn something, you suddenly have all this headspace that you didn't have mm-hmm. before. And actually, I found that doing that was what gave me the inspiration to start Agora, which is as you the sustainability boutique that we have in Ibiza. And I would not have really come up with such a wild and wacky and crazy idea, I think, had I not given myself the space to just allow other things to come into my head.
0: I mean let's talk a little bit about agora. It is the most beautiful store in Ibiza. I mean like not only is it in the beautiful six senses hotel The store itself is stunning. The assortment, the selection is fabulous. And I say it as someone who's been a fashion buyer my whole life. I was blown away. It's where we first met, actually, in the store. Tell us a little bit about the mindset and the strategy behind the store.
1: Well, I co-founded it with my partner, Daniela Agnelli, who's a Vogue fashion director. And neither of us had any idea about buying or any idea about being commercial, really, at all. And so we approached it. We set it up in lockdown as well, so everything was done on Zoom. We hadn't met any of our customers. In fact, the hotel was still being built. And so we approached it in the way that we only knew how, which was storytelling. And we knew we wanted to tell the story of fashion and sustainability, and we'd kind of broken it down into these chapters, which are recycle, reduce, restore, and rent. So we started to choose brands and products that basically fitted within those chapters. And Daniela has the most beautiful aesthetic. She's mm-hmm. a fantastic stylist. So she was sort of putting her lens over the way everything should look, which is absolutely right, because no one's gonna buy anything mm-hmm. unless it's desirable. Mm-hmm. And then we would choose things on the second lens, which is does it actually have a conscious journey from production to point of sale and then afterwards. So does it use recycled materials or future facing fabrics? Does it support a small community that needs restoring around the world? Is it everlasting design that would allow you to kind of reduce the amount of stuff that you've got in your wardrobe? Or failing all of those things, could you rent it? (laughs) And so that was how we put everything together. And we were very clear as well that we didn't want to do what everybody else would have done in that situation which is buy a whole load of Broderie anglaise and set ourselves up as a resort wear boutique. We wanted to do something really different because we had this story that we wanted to tell and I think that's been part of its success because when people walk into a hotel boutique you expect to see a bunch of key rings and bikinis and floaty caftans don't you and you don't get that in Agora at all. You get a very highly curated aesthetic organized around different storylines. And we're really big on our visual merchandising and telling those stories. We produce magazines, and we do a big event series as well, because actually, for us, the most important thing is not selling the product that's in the store, it's telling the customer why that product is in the store in the first place, because we really value it, because we think people have gone to an extra length to make sure it has a conscious journey in this world.
0: You also attract a lot of high-profile sustainability activists that come and talk in the store as well, which I think adds a lot more momentum to the whole project.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, it's very purposeful. And that was one of the things I wanted to tell you about, Debir, is that when I pivoted and took the learning course, it was a, a time in my life that lots of people talk about your kind of midlife moment, your third act, as some people like to call it. And I think for a lot of your career, you're running around doing the things that you feel like you should do or running around doing the things like your boss tells you that you should do or that everybody else tells you that you should do. Or if you've got a family, maybe the things that you have to do to put the bread on the table and all those kind of things. And then there comes a point in your career where you're like, actually, I just want to do the thing that's really good for me. And like I said, I would never really chose to be a journalist, I fell into it. And I'd never ask myself, what is it that I really want to do? Obviously, we all want to change the world, right? (laughs) That's what we want to do. So you've got to find out a way that you can do that and be effective at doing that. And I think with this platform Agora and then with all the other things that I do around it, my Substack, it's not sustainable, the campaign, it's really about trying to change people's mindset. And so with that as the heart of it, we've managed to attract some amazing people who have amazing stories to tell, to come and be in our store, to talk to us about what it is that they're doing, to talk to our guests and our customers. And we've created a community that is really focused on re-engineering fashion for, you know, the next 30, 50, 100 years of the human race.
0: It's wonderful. And I think what you're also able to demonstrate is that you now have been able to reposition your life and your career to reflect your personal values. And I think that's something that for so many of us, would be at the top of our list. But actually getting there is really hard for some people. You've been able to do it. I've been able to do it. But for a lot of people listening to this, they'd be thinking, actually, I'm not in a place where I can work in an environment that reflects my values. Do you have any advice that you would give to them?
1: Yeah, I mean, you make it sound really easy. It's really not easy. (laughs) It's not easy at all, no. (laughs) It takes an awful lot of, I mean, like I said, the space to think about things. And I think taking time to really Go into yourself and find out what it is inside you that really matters. I mean, it sounds cheesy and a cliche, but doing a bit of meditation every day does make a big difference, I think, to centering yourself and working out what's really inside you have to make decisions all the time about what's right for you and what you need to do and they're really difficult decisions to make because there's always loads and loads of compromise and so you have to really consciously choose the thing you think is right rather than the thing that needs to happen But I think the easy thing about that is nothing feels so great as doing something that you think is worthwhile and that means something to you. It's worth all the money in the world, it really is, because there's that thing that you go to sleep at night knowing that you're doing the right thing and you wake up in the morning thinking, this is what I really, really want to be doing.
0: And what about fear? Like how much does fear factor in your kind of like thought process and how do you deal with it? Uh, I just ignore it. (laughs) Brilliant. Fantastic. That is great. I, I asked the question because we were talking about this yesterday, and a friend of mine said to me, I'm really surprised that you're doing the podcast because you actually hate being on camera. You hate having your voice recorded. You hate everything that the podcast kind of stands for. And I was like, Yeah, it's true. But I really wanted to create the podcast because I wanted to create this space where we could have these conversations, and the whole, every conversation is about a hack or a tip or a trick that we can give to our audience to kind of help them navigate their own journeys but it's really interesting and I've only been doing it for a couple of months but already I'm really happy that I had something that really controlled me and I just kind of said I'm not interested I'm going to just pass it I'm just going to put it to the side and I've just kind of overcome it and again I'm making it sound really easy I've mean, i hated like a lot of this journey I'm always debating like would we do it on camera was a different way to do it but actually I think just to like go through it and see what's the worst that can happen try it you set up your business in lockdown in a hotel that hadn't even been built yet <laughs> that is super brave when I set up a line it was the same thing we literally launched a line a month before lockdown started and then there was this decision about do we keep it or do we just Postponed the concept until we're past lockdown, but actually we just carried on and it was really difficult, as I'm sure launching Agora was as well. But then you're stronger for it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what you realise over time is failure is actually a good thing. And do you know what? The last 10 or 15 years, and particularly Generation Z and generations coming up below us have been really good at embracing this narrative, but that failure is a good thing. Mm. And actually we were always scared of failure like what didn't want to lose face failure was not an option that was sort of our mantra wasn't it and actually what younger generations have taught us is that failure is really good because you learn something from failure if you just succeed all the time then you don't learn anything so having that mindset where you kind of like are ready to embrace doing it all wrong and getting it all wrong and slipping up and making mistakes then helps you to go forward. Because if you get it wrong, it doesn't matter
0: because that's actually a learning opportunity. Exactly. I think for me, what I do is I try and work out what the worst case scenario could be. (laughs) You're a disaster planner. A bit of a disaster, but it's great because even with the podcast, I was like, if this isn't a good idea, what's the worst that will happen? I'll have lost some time, I'll have lost some money. I wouldn't say that I'd have lost face because I tried something, but actually I'd have lost the time and maybe some money in the investment of this, but I would have gained so much experience. So actually offsetting that versus the negatives. And actually because it's nothing really disastrous, and I think sometimes we stop ourselves from doing things because of fear, but actually if you manage that fear, you think the worst case scenario is not that bad. If it doesn't work, it's not going to end us. It's not going to finish us off. And you're absolutely right. Younger people are much better at kind of throwing themselves in because I think their mindset is very much more tuned to being a startup mindset that you can keep on starting up. We were very much about we have one career. We start the journey and we need to make no mistakes. And we just need to keep on going on an upwards trajectory. Whereas a lot of people are like, I'm going to be relaunching things in my 30s and my 40s. It's a different setup.
1: Yeah, there was a really important book that came out, I remember, in the wake of the sort of 2008 crash and it was called Pivot. And it was about that startup culture that you're talking about. And I remember in 2008 when everybody lost their jobs There was a whole millennial generation coming out of higher education and there were no jobs for them. So they all just kind of got onto a very nascent social media, Facebook at the time, and began to set up little businesses. And they could do it all on peanuts or nothing Mm -hmm. because they could build their own audiences and create their own marketplaces on there. And they just had nothing to lose because they were graduates. They hadn't built a career reputation or a fortune or anything to lose, they just did it. They were successful at it because they'd try something and if it didn't work, they'd take the learning pivot try something else, pivot, try something else, pivot, pivot, pivot until they found something that really worked. And I remember actually I was at News Corp at the time and I remember like all the sort of bigwigs at the top of News Corp were saying, oh, you know, you have to read this book. And it had been absolutely unheard of in a big established media business like that to accept failure. And actually what everyone realised was that all these little businesses that were bootstrapping their way around and actually
0: finding paths through this mess had the answer and we needed to look to them for those answers. Now we need to talk about your project of this year, which has been so interesting, your rule of five. I think most of the listeners will know about it, but can you tell us about how you came about with the idea?
1: My big psychological journey. So in sustainability, I'd been writing about it as a journalist for a few years, and I'd been looking at all the exciting things that were going on with the amazing new textile to textile recycling technology, the crazy new mushroom leathers and the biofabrication and all the regenerative agriculture, all these kind of really interesting new answers to how we were going to create a more efficient system and a stronger supply chain and all those kind of things. And then... About this time last year, a climate think tank called the Hot or Cool Institute came out with a report where they basically crunched the numbers and found that if fashion was going to hit its 2030 1.5 warming target, then what we had to do actually was none of that stuff. We needed to radically cut production and therefore radically cut consumption. In short, far too much fashion in the world. We're buying too much they're making too much and when they did the maths on it they discovered that actually for us here in the UK and over in US and for a large part of Europe that amounts to just five items a year so if you care about climate and you care about the trajectory that the world is on you can really only afford to buy five new fashion items a year now when this came out I was a bit like what (laughs) you know I am not someone who would confine myself to five I could buy five items in a single shop. Yeah. This was like a massive wake-up call to me. And I kind of rang all my fashion friends. And I was like, have you heard? What are we going to do? This is a nightmare. And then I just thought, well, look, if I really mean this stuff, then I actually, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. I need to do, th- I need to see if I can go through a year only buying five items. So January last year, I launched the Rule of Five and set it up on Substack and mm-hmm. the Thought so, right, you know, anyone who wants to join me, come along on this journey with me. We're gonna find loads of ways to enjoy our wardrobes without buying much new. Let's go and see what they are. And you know what? The most interesting response to me was that the people who jumped on board overwhelmingly did not jump on board because they cared about climate. They jumped on board because they were just sick of buying so much stuff. Mm. You know, they felt like that all wardrobes were overflowing, that their consumption habits had got out of control, that they needed to stop spending. It's basically a fashion diet, how to lose your fashion weight. Mm. And it's been a very interesting journey. And along the way, We've discovered all sorts of brilliant new kind of mending and altering apps that have all sprung up in the wake of this. think places like Save Your Wardrobe, Sojo, mm-hmm. and The Seam, who I would recommend everybody check out. Renting, mm-hmm. I always thought renting was for occasion wear. It's not. You can rent coats. It's mm-hmm. a brilliant way to get yourself through February. Rent three amazing new coats and just have a really good month. You can rent handbags as well. And now there are subscription services where you can rent workwear by the month. Mm-hmm. And then swapping parties, I loved those, they were so much fun. Like I hadn't realized you could have so much fun with your friends when you did these swapping parties. And then obviously, you know, vin- vintage and thrift and resale, you're not allowed to do very much of it because obviously the secondhand market is showing no sign of slowing the first hand market. So I limited myself to four secondhand items on top of my five new. And off I went. And I'm glad to say that here we are in December, almost a year later, and I have actually managed to only buy five new
0: things. Yay, excellent. Me too. I know. (laughs) Which I'm really, really pleased with. I mean, I think it's a fantastic I think you
1: should admit, though, because I think this is a really good insight
0: into you, which is that you thought you weren't going to do it, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm one of these people who... Very much cares about sustainability, but also is very mindful of giving people another thing to do, another task to do. Because I feel like a lot of the listeners will be thinking that my life is already stressful enough. Don't tell me. Don't preach any more to me. When I first heard about it, I thought, oh, are people going to give a lot of pushback to this and I myself was like don't I'm, boss me around I, yeah I was like, <laughs> don't boss me around and don't add any more pressure to my life and I've got a very stressful life and I kind of came up with lots of kind of reasons why I didn't think it would work however it was in my mind and then it was in November when Jane was here Jane Shepperson and we were talking about it and I said to Jane it's really interesting I said I've kind of been silently protesting about the idea of somebody putting like a framework around something that I thought I owned, which was like my shopping habits. And I said, and yet I feel like I'm gonna get there. I think I'm gonna make it. And actually I didn't realize at the time, it was November, I'd already kind of like, I'd I'd achieved it and then I didn't buy anything else. And I thought, that's it. So it's really interesting. It kind of like was in the back of my mind. And I went about my business. But I think this fashion diet that you talk about, and by the way, that was a great name for a new book for you. I think (laughs) for the new year, that would be brilliant. I just think that's what it is. And I think for a lot of people, they will really connect with that. It's not so much that their focus is the climate. It's just the fact that they want to get out of this obsessive habit that every new occasion requires a new outfit. And getting into that relationship with rental, which we talked about earlier on as well. I mean, I wore my first rented dress at a big party last month and I loved everything about the process. I loved going in to try it on, to hire it, to hand it back, to know that all my friends have seen it. I never have to have it in my wardrobe. You can also be a bit out there when you rent something because it's less of a commitment. So you can like really try on a different personality just for the night. Jane said that as well. She was like, you wear... Bright colors when you're renting, and you'll probably buy black when you're buying. And I think that you're right, it extends beyond occasion wear. I think it's perfect for occasion wear. But yeah, I think you can have a lot of fun with it. So, what's for 2024?
1: Well, I mean, I can't go back now because apart yes, from anything yes, else, exactly. I've just learned how to yes, value things. Yeah. The really interesting thing is that I'd had so much stuff before and I was buying so much stuff, and it was all pretty meaningless. The things that really meant something to me were the things that had been in my wardrobe for a very long time that had become my stalwarts. And My friends and my reliables. And now that's what my wardrobe 100% consists of. And there's no way I could go back to flashing into Zara and doing a big sweep. No way, especially knowing what I know now about fast fashion and all that kind of thing. So I want to continue with this as a way of living now because it has actually taught me how to have a greater value relationship with the things that I own, how not to be drowned by stuff how to really understand with each piece that we have that the journey that it has from kind of field to closet and then beyond our closet where it goes after Mm -hmm. that and how we extend its life and get as much use out of it as Mm -hmm. possible but also beyond all of that Debbie I've just I've had so much fun with fashion this year you know like I have really learned how to do it in loads of different ways and be much more creative around it than if I'd just kind of picked up vogue and said oh right okay these are the seven trends for spring summer I better go and get them you know oh that's the boot shape or oh, that's the midi skirt quick check 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 actually what have I got in my wardrobe um. How can I alter it to make it more relevant right now? What can I rent? What can I mend? Who can I swap with? How can I have my next swapping party? I'm going to take it on for next year. I mean, I'll probably change it a little bit because I've got to take in a few of the things that I've learned but haven't quite decided how I'm going to do that yet but I'm busy thinking.
0: I think it's fantastic. You're right. You can't really go back from it but I think... Like you say, taking the learnings and finding ways for it to be a sustainable approach for other women, I think is a great idea. I think also like a lot of people have said to me that they want help in building kind of wardrobes for, from the bottom up again, like capsuling. And and I think that's something that would be really helpful next mm-hmm. year. And one of the things I'd really like to do on one of our Sandland retreats is really do a session on wardrobing and to talk about what your work wardrobe could look like, what your weekend wardrobe could look like. I think we all just think that we need so much more than we actually do
1: well if you look at your wardrobe and think how much of this do I actually wear and generally speaking it's about 30% women wear about 30% of their wardrobe and then look at that and think well how much of that do I really wear and depending on the season, obviously it changes season to season, but there's probably about 10 items that you wear day in and day out. Like they're your absolute go-tos. And actually, the way I started Rule of Five last January was I did a big wardrobe audit. And if people are kind of interested, I'd really recommend that, where you just pull everything out of your wardrobe, lay it all down on the bed and kind of have a good old look and sort it into, you know, what you want to keep, what's working. what's But that whole audit of What do I actually wear? What do I really wear? We'll tell you an awful lot about what you like, what's comfortable, what suits your lifestyle, and also what you're missing as well. If maybe you should come to my house and oh, do my wardrobe, <laughs> actually. We can start there, actually. But you know, in the in the 80s, Donna Karen did it. Do you yes. remember that? She had the seven-piece capsule
0: wardrobe. Yes. She was all over yes. that. I think we need to go back to it, because I actually realised that, like you say, I wear very little of my actual wardrobe. It does create some anxiety for me, because I feel like there's just too much stuff in there that I don't need. But it's having the time and the discipline, and to actually let go of things. Now, I want to talk a little bit about fast fashion. It's interesting when we look at Gen Z and the kind of retailers that support Gen Z, say ASOS, Zalando, and then we look at retailers like Marks and & Spencer and Next that often are maybe more Gen X. It's quite interesting that when you look even at share prices, Next and M&S are doing really, really well. Zalando, ASOS doing pretty badly. Is that really kind of telling us now that younger consumers are already finding so many alternative ways to shop and they're rejecting first hand product? And uh, whereas the older consumer is thinking, no, I'm still very comfortable going and buying lots of new things.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? I think Gen Z are all over second hand thrifting pre-loved i mean i don't of the gen z's that i know i think they buy almost exclusively second hand they love the thrill of going into a charity shop going on the hunt finding something that they really like and then creating a completely unique outfit if there's a piece that they really want they'll go and hunt it down second hand because they can't afford it first hand so they can find it on a depop or a vintage or an ebay and
0: actually again Thrill of the chase, hunting something down. Experience. They're after experiential retail, really when it comes down to it, right? Because actually you're going online and you're seeing millions of new items coming. Not millions, but hundreds of new items coming up every day. And it doesn't feel very exciting. But like you say, the thrill of being able to find something in a vintage store, that sort of experiential moment to be able to tell your friends, I got it from vintage," or I got it in a vintage environment. I really wonder what that kind of like will do then to the affordable retail market. Yeah,
1: well, I think there's something interesting in parallel that's going on about trends. So, ASOS and Zalando and all those fast fashion places have really built their business model on trends. So, you've got to get it. You've got to have this. This is the way to be relevant. Got to get this now, get it before it goes. But because of TikTok and other social media platforms and the speed of information building up so quickly now, you can cycle through like seven trends in a day, can't you? I mean, yeah, your Strawberry yeah. Girl Summer, Cottage core, Y2K, you know, all this stuff like is all happening simultaneously. So actually, the whole trend universe now is massively fractured. So there isn't, or very rarely is there one trend that unites us all into thinking, oh, gotta have that. Yeah is it the personality trouser or whatever it is there's very very few trends now that get the whole fashion universe going that's the thing so with that in mind actually I think
0: the business models behind your ASOS's and Zalandos don't quite work. I think that's what's happening now and I think it's been reflected in the share price it'll be interesting what happens in the next few years.
1: Yeah and Mars and Spencers and next which have always built their model around having a core wardrobe of kind of core staples and then something kind of should you feel like it, rather than kind of chasing the trend. They might come up with a silver trouser, but really seriously, how many people buy the
0: silver trouser from us Yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, listen, we're nearly at the end of our time. One last question. So, Santalan means balance in Hindi, and you're a very busy woman with lots going on. How do you get balance in your life?
1: If you ask my husband, he would probably say I don't have it. <laughs> I love to do yoga, but I don't do it enough. If I don't carve out time for myself to do it, I really, really miss it. Spending time with the people that really matter to me, and that would be people away from work, like my friends, Mm -hmm. my family. I wish I could do more of that, actually. And I wish I could do more of that thing where we're all meant to go away and meditate and go on a retreat and all those kind of things. I remember you in your previous podcast talking about retreats and how you love a retreat. And I was like, God, I love a retreat too. I haven't been on one for about 10 years, but <laughs> in my head, I'd like to go. I think we're all striving for balance. But, so I think that was a very long-winded way of coming around to saying is, I think you just need to have a conversation with yourself. Mm. And it's a personal thing. And you need to sit down with yourself and discover what it is that you really want. And it's not the same every day. You know, what I need today might be very different from what I need tomorrow but having the honesty, the dedication and the commitment to sitting down with yourself and asking that question and having that conversation is probably the best way we can all
0: achieve balance in this world. Oh, fabulous. Tiff, it's been amazing talking to you. I've so enjoyed this conversation. It's so close to my heart as well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And let's audit your wardrobe in January. <laughs> I'm up for that, definitely. <laughs> and come to the retreat in February too. I would Fantastic. love to. Perfect. Put me in. But thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Tiff Dark focusing on all things sustainability. To learn more about sustainability and everything else that we discussed, please log on to our website at www.santaland.com podcast for all of the relevant links. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Nobody's Coming to Fix You. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please follow us and subscribe for future episodes. If you have any questions about the content of this show, all the details will be in the show notes. You can also reach out to us on Instagram and TikTok at Santalan Coaching. Nobody's Coming to Fix You is brought to you by Santalan, a 12-month coaching and transformation program for women. To learn more, please go to www.santalan.com. I'm your host, Albea. Until next time, stay well.